Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Tonight, the left went bonkers when President Trump alluded to returning to power early. So we are going to keep driving the left nuts by going through all the likely and unlikely scenarios on how President Trump could return to the White House. Could it happen? We'll go through it. And Kamala is making a fool of herself on the world stage. She says something different at each stop during her Mexico and Guatemala tour. And can't figure out where she should be wearing her mask and where she shouldn't. And even though Kamala won't go to our southern border, our own Ben Burkwam is there. And he goes to the dangerous parts of the border to get the story and bring it to you here tonight. And we have updates from the Arizona election audit where Drew Hernandez has his eye on everything that's happening there. It's a big show tonight here on Dr. Gina Primetime. I'm Dr. Gina. Welcome to Primetime. Kamala Harris is on her first foreign trip now. Biden tasked her with handling the border crisis, so she decided to make a trip to Guatemala and to Mexico. And in Guatemala, Kamala was greeted with signs that said things like, go home, you're not welcome here. Trump won. Stop financing criminal groups that cause people to migrate. Guatemala is pro-life. Trade, not USAID. Work, not charity. You get the point. Kamala says uh, Kamala must have looked over some old Trump speeches because she spoke to the press in Guatemala and made it sound like the wall was completed and the border was secure. Listen here. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. Hmm. That's interesting because that's a lie. The border is absolutely gaping open. People will not be turned away. The Remain in Mexico policy was reversed by Biden and everybody knows it. All that illegals have to do is get their toe across the border and scream asylum and then they're turned loose in the United States and most will never come to their asylum hearing in the United States court. And some don't even get a court date because the system is so completely overwhelmed. So I know that she knows that she's not telling the truth. Kamala should remember that social media posts are out there forever. Here is her tweet from January of 2017, just days after Trump's inauguration. It said, say it loud, say it clear. Everyone is welcome here. Like she was a cheerleader or something. It says, hashtag, no ban, no wall. She sure sounds a lot different now that she's a vice president and uh, presiding over an actual border crisis job's a little harder to do when you're actually trying to do it, isn't it, Kamala? Kamala is the epitome of a politician. She says whatever's politically expedient in that moment, she doesn't care about migrants. She doesn't care about criminal cartels. She doesn't care about American children dying from drugs and crime due to our open borders. 
If she did, she wouldn't be conducting business like this. She cares about her political power. And on NBC, Kamala did an interview with Lester Holt, a reprehensible one, I might add. And it was during this trip. He asked her a pretty simple question that got her pretty flustered. He asked her if she's ever going to visit the U.S. southern border. Listen. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole this whole this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I mentioned I, it because even I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this. But Democratic Congressman Cuellar has a border district has said to the, you and the president, come. You need, I care you need to see about this. Listen, I care about what's happening at the border made about as much sense as Joe Biden when he goes off teleprompter. Joe Biden's handlers need to keep her away from the cameras too, but the problem is then they're left with people like Jen Psaki who doesn't make sense either. So they don't know who to put in front of the cameras. First, she said she plans to go, Kamala that is. Then she said she's been there. Then she said she hasn't been to Europe, as if that's in any way relevant. So that's, we're supposed to guess like the same thing as going to the border. As if there's a Europe crisis? No, Kamala, there's a border crisis. So what are you talking about? Was she not ready for that question? If you yourself were advising Kamala Harris on what question you might be asked in an interview, what question is more apparent than the border crisis? Did she not think anyone in the media was going to ask her that? How do you botch that question? It's literally the most obvious question out there. Of course she was going to be asked that. Why did she not have a good answer? Well, she botched a whole lot more than that. Her mask wearing on this trip has been very inconsistent. She definitely isn't following CDC guidance. After her presser with the Guatemalan president, he had to tell her to get her mask on. And she complied. Instead of acting like the VP of the most powerful country in the world, she got a lecture, a lecture on mask wearing from third world leader. Get that in your heads, folks. Both she and the Guatemalan president have had the vaccine and the CDC supposedly being the be all and end all right, says they don't need to wear them. And the vice president of the most powerful nation in the world taking a lecture from a third world country. And after her mask lecture from the Guatemalan president, she got another mask lesson from the Mexican president. She strolled into her meeting with the Mexican president looking foolish with her mask on as President Obrador looked powerful and free and competent as he followed the American CDC guidance on masks. Is this not unbelievable, unfathomable, unthinkable? Did you ever think you would see this sort of antics from the United States White House? And you notice that Kamala didn't ask him to wear a mask. She didn't give a lecture. She didn't exert any power or authority, even though she supposedly is second in command of the most powerful country in the world. She just stood there looking like an idiot, cackling through her mask. I thought that Biden and this administration was supposed to restore our standing on the world stage. I thought they were supposed to command the respect that only an establishment politician can bring. And instead, we have cackling Kamala and bumbling Joe. And they are scared to death to make a trip to the Mexican border. But our folks 
here at RAV aren't afraid to visit the southern border. Ben Burkwam is here in a few with a report from the border, just as he has been since the election. But up next, we have Drew Hernandez on the side of the Arizona audit because we are not taking our eyes off of this. We're Dr. Tina Primetime. Big show coming at you. Stay where you are. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, even though the leftist news media wants to dismiss it, and even though the Democrats want to call it a scam, the Arizona election audit still going strong, full steam ahead, and we have our eyes right on it here at RAVTV. Drew Hernandez is on the ground there. Drew, great to see you. Thank you, Dr. Gina. Drew, I think some people are concerned that this audit is uh, still happening, not because they want it to stop, but because they want to see the results. But this is a long and meticulous process. Explain that to us, Drew. Absolutely. Uh, it's definitely not a clown show. That's what the left-leaning media wants people to believe. They try to discredit it. They try to slander it. They try and make it look like it's not being done well or done correctly. But in all reality, it really is. It's a very extensive process, the security that goes behind this. It's very hard for journalists to even get inside of the building uh, to ask some questions, even in the press box. Um, but what people need to understand is the audit itself here in Arizona, uh, the hand count audit is about 80% complete. So they got maybe about a week, a uh, week and a half left of uh, the hand count uh, process of the audit. Then they got to look into the machines to make sure that there's no faulty software. They got to make sure it wasn't plugged into the internet during the election time. They also got to look at the uh, voter registration, the addresses, to make sure that they're actually real people that actually voted from real addresses. So there's still some time left for this audit, but the hand count uh, process of the Arizona audit is about 80% complete. So that's good news because the American people deserve an answer, Dr. Gina. I think people just want to know what happened in these controversial elections. So a couple more weeks on the hand count and then all of the other steps that you mentioned about how much longer in your estimation will that take approximately? I would say maybe a month, maybe two months. Uh, this is a very extensive process. I had a pretty great interview yesterday with uh, the Republican Party's Nevada state chairman, Mr. Michael McDonald himself. He actually toured the uh, audit floor yesterday. It was a surprise tour that he took. Um, and he did allude to the fact that he himself is actually going to model this in Nevada coming up in the next few weeks. So in terms of Arizona, what he actually stated in his interview was he has a law enforcement background and he had to go through three security checks. They had to uh, make sure that he didn't have any unnecessary papers on him that he couldn't, you know, if it's a fake ballot being put into the audit uh, to be counted, uh, to make sure he didn't have any electronic devices on himself. It's a very extensive security process. And it's interesting because you take a look at the left-leaning media, they slander it so much, they try to discredit it, when in reality it's a very, very serious uh, process that they're doing, and the security is absolutely on point. So I think the American people need to understand that this is not a clown show, uh, don't believe the fake news media, uh, they're just trying to discredit it, it's legitimate, and it's going to be done, and it's going to have legitimate results. 
doesn't it seem, Drew, like that if we had just perhaps used voter ID, perhaps made sure that our voter locations were legitimate, perhaps um, taken more extraordinary measures to make sure that voting itself were as secure as we're making sure that this audit is, um, that we wouldn't be going through this in the first place? Absolutely. But the radical left hears that and they automatically uh, come out against you. They try to slander you, discredit you. If you call for voter ID, you're all of a sudden uh, oppressing minorities. You're oppressing black people and brown people because the left says that they're too poor. They're too uneducated to go out and get a voter ID. So how dare you make a suggestion like that? And it causes people to question, even minorities like myself. I'm like, uh, I'm not too poor and I'm not too uneducated to go to voter ID. I actually want that because I want a free and fair, secure election. So people ask themselves and you start to question, why with this rhetoric that tries to slander people, that's not true, that tries to discredit something that actually wants to make something actually more accurate uh, for the American people, especially something as sacred as an election. I mean, we're calling for something to make something more secure. We're not calling to suppress people. Uh, these voter laws aren't suppressing people of color. This is just making our election process more secure. And it's interesting because you take a look at the radical left's response and it's always the same, trying to discredit, make it look stupid, make it look like it's not legit. And you have to ask yourself why, because all we're asking is for something that's more secure. And I think you're right, Dr. Gina, people are asking themselves these very questions and they're wanting answers to them. And so that kind of leads and begs really the next question, which is, are the Democrats going to try to interfere in this audit or will they be unable to preclude it finishing? Well, in Arizona, they tried to stop it. Uh, you had a lot of government officials here in Arizona that before it even got off the ground, they tried to stop it in its tracks. They couldn't stop it legally. Uh, and fortunately for the American people, they prevailed and they thrived. And again, you gotta ask yourself, man, like if there's nothing to hide, why are these Democrats, why are even some in the GOP that find themselves being rhinos, if there's literally nothing to hide, why can't the American people just look at this? It's their election, it's their votes. This is a so-called constitutional republic and the Democrats claim to be the party of democracy. So why can't we look at our democratic process uh, in our constitutional republic to make sure that was done legitimately. And people are continuing to ask themselves, why are we getting this response every time we try and look into this election? So they've been trying, they've been trying in Arizona, they're gonna try it in Georgia, they're trying it in all these, in Pennsylvania, all these controversial swing states. It's the same thing that we've been seeing since the end of the election. Just trust the process, just trust what we say, but can we look into it? No, you can't. And they wonder why people are asking such serious questions. All right. Thank you so much, Drew Hernandez. I'm sure I'm glad you have your eyes on this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Someone who's also watching this audit closely is former President Trump. And a few days ago, he made liberal heads explode when he said this. I want to thank everybody for the tremendous support you've shown. We're going to take back the Senate, take back the House. We're going to take back the White House. And sooner than you think, it's going to be really something special. He said the GOP would take the White House sooner than you think. So what does that mean? Well, everybody's speculating. There are a few ways that Donald Trump could retake the White House. And over at Just the News, Sophie Mann explored that in an article that lays it out. And Sophie's here with us now. Great to see you, Sophie. Good to see you, Dr. G. 
Now, Sophie, you go through four scenarios for an early Trump return to power. The first scenario is reinstate, reinstatement, and this was actually reported by Maggie Haberman over at the New York Times. Tell us about that. Right. So, I mean, well, this is really, I think, what's been driving most of the headlines for the past couple of days. Maggie Haberman initially tweeted out, and we know she's a New York Times reporter who has really been on the Trump beat extensively for the past five or six years or so, that the former president uh, has been speaking with members of his inner circle about a possible August reinstatement. And we know that this goes in ha hand in hand with uh, the subject that you were just discussing with Drew, the audits. Depending upon what these audits sort of turn out in terms of uh, election integrity and how the ballots were counted and whether or not people were voting legally or not, uh, there, are, there are these rumors that Haberman is reporting that the president or former president uh, believes, um, you know, the, the results of the over-election will be overturned and that he will be back in the Oval. And in fact, he believes that two Republican senators will be coming with him. Uh, senators from Arizona and Georgia who also were wrongfully denied their um, their election wins. So what we're sort of hearing about that story is that he, he's sort of discussing it. We don't know if it's very serious. We don't know if it's in jest with his inner circle. Uh, our very own Jenna Ellis, um, of course, legal scholar, says that this is a pretty unlikely scenario. That it would be very hard to uh, have courts overturn the um, results of of an of an election that had been fortified by the Congress, as we know, it had it has been obviously. Um, so so this is sort of a far fetched schematic for Trump getting back into the office. But as we know, uh, the former president loves to play with the media. He loves it when he's a couple of steps ahead of the mainstream. And if he can sort of ruffle their feathers like this, I think he's probably having a good week. The second scenario for an early Trump return to power is for him to run for Congress for the new seat that is going to be drawn in Florida. Now, I've been hearing about this since, wow, a long time now. Um, and a lot of people were calling it a conspiracy, but how would that work? Well, so, I mean, as we know, uh, the former president is now officially a Florida resident, which would make uh, his electoral, or, I mean, excuse me, his election map a lot easier. It's a friendlier zone toward Republicans and toward the former president himself. So if he were to toss his hat in the ring, sort of mid-midterm election cycle, there's every possibility that he could perhaps win. Now, here's where things get a little bit far-fetched. He, um, he would have to sort of lead the GOP on such an extreme winning basis in 2022 that presumably... Uh, the Congress, not excuse me, not the Congress, the Senate would have a 60, a 60 uh, headcount Republican majority such that he would, the former president would get to Congress, then become elected Speaker of the House. Then um, the Congress, which means the House and the Senate would impeach Biden and then impeach Harris, therefore making the Speaker of the House at this point Trump president once again. So it's a lot of sort of if and but, but uh, you know, you know what they say. Um, they say it's all simple from here. So if, if everything goes to plan, that's a straightforward shot back into office, uh, you know, by the end of 2022. The third scenario, Sophie, is for an early Trump uh, return to power. You called it the no election speakership. This one's particularly interesting. Do tell. Yeah, so this one was funny. Um, it was pointed out to me by Ari Fleischer, uh, the longtime uh, President George Bush um, secretary, press secretary. So what he said for those congressional wonks and buffs out there is that you actually don't need to be a member of Congress to become the Speaker of the House. So in theory, you could just be voted in as um, a citizen, which President former President Trump is right now. I mean, uh, presumably Republicans will take back 
the House in 2022, at which point they will hold speakership elections. Um, obviously, Kevin McCarthy is sort of the front runner right now. I'm sure we'll see other people sort of crop up in that race. But there could, you know, be a, be an audible call here in which uh, President Trump somehow slides in. I'm sure we will actually see some ecstatic, enthusiastic, very uh, Trump, Trump-heavy members of Congress maybe even suggest that. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard that from uh, a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Matt Gates, maybe seriously, maybe in jest. But yeah, again, so in theory, that would be the uh, world in which the president, former president, did not actually have to run for Congress in order to get to Congress, in order to then get back to the Oval. All right, and the last scenario, the fourth scenario, and there may be more out there, but these are the four that you wrote about <laughs> um, for an early uh, Trump return to power, or maybe not so early. This would be the old-fashioned one. Uh, you called this the long game. Tell us. Right. So, I mean, this is the one that I think in all uh, estimation is going to be the likeliest scenario, which is that the former president is going to wait until 2024 and toss his hat right back into that ring. Certainly that would be the least legally controversial option for him, probably the most straightforward and easiest, though. I mean, we know that he has been, uh, you know, rhetorically dropping hints that he might not plan on waiting until 2024. So it's all up for interpretation right now. But um, but yes, this is clearly the option that would cause the fewest roadblocks, probably send the least number of chills down the spine of the mainstream media. But of course, we know that, as I said, President Trump um, has always been a fan of riling up the media and uh, the mainstream uh, liberal base. So I, I think he's all all too happy to keep them guessing, even if the ultimate plan is just, you know, a regular old run in 2024. Well, I've been seeing the hats out there that say Trump 2024 with all sorts mm -hmm. of other follow-ups in terms of who people might want <laughs> for his vice presidential choice. And then you have to realize, too, he's hired, he's lawyered, lawyered, lawyered up. He's got some of the best legal minds in the world all around him right now as his own personal legal team. And if they advise him that any of those first three options work and he jumps in, I'm going to believe he has a reason to think it might work. So, Sophie, we'll just have to stand by and watch this, won't we? Very true. I mean, I, I think one thing that we're going to need to watch for is that if indeed we have to wait until 2024 to see him get back into that ring, the question is whether or not he will be running on a mandate uh, that is dependent upon some of the results of these audits. So again, it's important to be watching them closely. We know we are, we know Drew is, and we know the former president is. So I completely agree with you, Dr. G. We're just going to have to wait and see. And I think 2022 is going to tell us a whole lot about where things stand. Sophie Mann, thank you so much for your reporting here. Thanks, Dr. G. Coming up, Ben Burkwam is in Mexico, and he's hot on the trail of the cartels and the bad guys trying to get across our southern border. Then Congressman Greg Stubbe is uh, up with his reaction, and this will all be right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Don't go away. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms, and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's another day of the Biden border crisis. Vice President Kamala Harris is in Mexico now, but she is a long way from the border. And I don't blame her for being scared to visit our southern border. It's a disaster, and she's supposed to be in charge of fixing it all and has had uh, almost 200 days of 
the effort to do that and has managed to accomplish absolutely nothing, except it's gotten tremendously worse. But someone who hasn't been afraid to visit the border, in fact, he's been there since Election Day, is uh, back and forth, is Ben Burkwam, and he's in Tijuana, Mexico today, and he joins us now. Ben, great to see you. Thank you again for all you've sacrificed to be there on the border, covering it as you have. Ben, tell me, does anyone in Tijuana know that Kamala is in their country right now, and do they care? Uh, none of the people that we've spoken to, and in fact, I'm here at the uh, Agape shelter run by Pastor Alberto. This is one of the shelters in Tijuana that actually is trying to do good. It's one of the ones that has been impacted because of the amount of illegal immigration. Uh, it's, it's impacted the people that are here. In fact, the, the people you see in the background behind me uh, that are by the rail, they escaped Venezuela. They were uh, political, uh, politically persecuted. They ran uh, a, a, and helped the opposition candidates against Maduro and their lives were threatened. Uh, they, th there are many cases where people are actually fleeing real persecution. And the problem is because of Joe Biden and because of Kamala Harris, people that actually need the help, people that actually uh, uh, that uh, apply and, and would uh, be granted asylum are all in the back of the line now as the, the border's just been completely flooded. And we're s supporting the cartels. We're, we're interviewing other people all day today, people that have fled their homes in Michoacan and Guerrero uh, coming up here because the cartels have, have grown completely out of control. They're basically running the government now. And instead of actually doing something about it, like President Trump uh, potentially declaring them terrorist organizations, we're emboldening them. We're inviting more of their criminal activity because we're basically saying the borders are open. Even though Kamala came out and said today, stay home, everybody's got the word down here that the borders are open as long as you can get there. So true asylum seekers uh, who are, as you're, as you're explaining to us, in desperate need of asylum, um, are not able to get it. And that's in addition to, of course, those who are trying to legally immigrate and put, being put to the back of the line because of the illegal immigrants who are being brought here by the cartels. And that's, of course, in addition to the horrific stories of the rapes, the murders, the children being drowned, the drugs uh, being brought in, and all the rest of it um, so that the cartels can make a lot of money and thrive in cahoots with the leftist politicians who are socialists in cahoots with our politicians in America. And all of a sudden these pieces start to, I almost feel like I need to do a chart for this to put it all together, Ben, because you've really painted a picture that starts to make a lot of sense. Like all of a sudden, the lies that have been perpetrated upon us by the Biden-Harris uh, administration and the motives beneath all of it start to make a lot of sense, don't they? Yeah, you said it perfectly. Uh, that I, I don't even know why I'm on the show today. I mean, that's exactly it. That's it. Th this is all connected. It's 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 all connected. The cartels are being enriched. Uh, the government of Mexico is corrupt. They are emboldening and and uh, being paid off by the cartels. Now we see that same influence in America. And rather than doing things to stop them, like President Trump did, declaring these cartels terrorist organizations, uh, stopping the, uh, the the illegal border crossings, uh, enacting the Remain in Mexico policy, now we're actually hurting the people, the very people that we set these policies in place 
to protect. I mean, the reason we have asylum laws is because there are legitimate needs around the world. My wife was one of those people escaping communism to come here from Laos. We have there's a reason why America has that. We are the beacon of light to the rest of the world. The problem is these organizations, these leftist organizations like Al Otro Lado, Pueblo Sin Fronteras, Central Sin Fronteras, Casa de Luz, all of these organizations are using, they're manipulating uh, the the so-called asylum process for their own ends, for their own gain. There is $4 billion that is going to be spent on this problem. And the and the, the crazy thing about this is Joe Biden is planning on giving the $4 billion, not to the governments, which makes some sense because a lot of these governments are corrupt, but giving this money, $4 billion taxpayer dollars, to these leftist globalist NGO organizations who are incentivized to create more chaos. They're incentivized to create more illegal immigration because they get paid more money the more people that they have come across. And so it's, it's, an, it's a self-perpetuating cycle of chaos that we've created. President Trump showed how to fix it. Now we're, we're back in that cycle. We're like hamsters uh, running in a maze or running on that, that, that wheel and we're getting nowhere. People are literally dying as this is happening. Uh, and you've got Kamala Harris in Guatemala and now Mexico City today still has not come to the border. It's it's unexplainable. Ben, do we have any more information on uh, the elections that took place? I know you to told us horrific information about um, severed body parts and heads uh, being put at election sites where there were specifically high numbers of um, conservatives uh, coming out to vote in Mexico. Do we have any updates on any of that? Well, what's interesting is we're hearing the same problems, the same so-called quote-unquote irregularities that we started seeing, uh, that we started noticing in 2020, but these things have been going on since the early 2000s in America. Uh, the, the family that's behind me from Venezuela, uh, they said, you know, they've been watching what's been happening in America, and it's the exact same thing that happened in Venezuela in 1998. Uh, and they're seeing that not just in, in America, what we saw in 2020, but also here in uh, Mexico. The, the problem here is you also have the, the addition of cartels that basically run many of the areas like Michoacan, like uh, Guerrero, like some of these areas of Mexico, who then go in carte blanche and, and will just simply take ballots. I mean, they, they were, uh, we've got reports coming in now that they would go in, they went in on Sunday and just grabbed the ballots from these conservative districts. They took them out, destroyed them, Again, they took uh, body parts, human heads, uh, and, and it's just, it's terrorism. It is absolutely terrorism. Yeah. It's the definition of terrorism. And, and it's happening here at a scale that we really in, in America can't comprehend. The scariest part to me though is if this doesn't stop, if we don't stop it, it's coming to America because American politicians are clearly, ha have already been impacted by this and are clearly corrupted. And Ben, so the people that are at the shelter now where you are, they're waiting to cross uh, because they're political prisoners. That's what you told us. And how long are they expected to have to wait? And what time difference is that in comparison to, for example, if Donald Trump were still president? Well, it's so, yes, uh, they all have different stories. Uh, speaking to Pastor Alberto, who runs the shelter, uh, he's been running it for years. This has been a problem uh, for years, but this was, they ran it as the legal process. So they would have people that were escaping uh, political persecution or violence in their home countries, and they would come to, to facilities like this. And there are many of these around the country, and they would apply. They would get in touch 
with uh, the, the embassy in America, with attorneys in America, and they would go through the process. The problem now is that the system has been so uh, backed up that there, we're, we're talking years of potential wait unless their story gets heard. And the, the sad irony is now you have uh, leftist media, propaganda media, and they're, they're basically going around looking for the saddest stories is what we're being told by, by the pastor here. And they use those stories to push in the, the you know, the, the continue the narrative. And those are the people that end up getting pushed to the front of the line and getting crossed over. But there are tens of thousands more like them who are waiting, whose stories will never be told, whose uh, family member, I just spoke to one, his son, 26 years old, was murdered by the cartel. He's here waiting and there's simply no answer on when they're gonna get an answer or if they will ever get across. Uh, while you have people a couple miles away from us simply walking across the border, cutting in line, uh, and and paying the cartels to, you know, to basically undermine what's actually happening. The reason we have an asylum process, the whole the whole system here has just been is, is failing. Completely failing. Ben Barquam, thank you for all you do. Keep up the great work, and thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Dr. G. All right, um, Kamala Harris is making a fool of herself on the world stage and this entire administration. She told some whoppers on this trip, including this one yesterday in Guatemala, where she said the U.S. southern border was essentially secure. Listen to this. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. Just a ridiculous statement. Is she fooling anyone? Well, she isn't fooling my next guest. Congressman Greg Stubbe from Florida's 17th District is here with us now. Congressman, great to see you. Thanks for being with us tonight. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Congressman, was there anything factual? You, you start to feel like these people can't just be lying to us with a straight face like this. Like, they've got to be in some fantasy land or they must have been re-educated in their own re-education camps or something because how could you stand there and say the exact opposite of what you said as soon as recently as your own campaign right it absolutely blows my mind that she can stand there in guatemala and straight face lie to the people there and lie to the american people because you know that what you're going to say there is then going to be put on mainstream press here in the United States, we had 170,000 illegal border crossings just in the month of April. Does that sound like a secure border to you? Thousands of tens of thousands of children apprehended at the border. The numbers that you are seeing are breaking historic records that we've never seen in the history of our country. Does that sound like a secure border and that the borders closed? No, this is exactly what Democrats want. They want illegal border crossings. Then they want to pass HR1 and allow these individuals to be able to vote without voter identification and do away with voter identification in states like 
here in Florida that has voter ID. That's what their plan is all along. She is doing absolutely nothing. The Biden administration is doing absolutely nothing to curb the behavior that we're seeing in these South American countries with tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of people crossing every single month. And she won't go to the actual border. She will go to Guatemala and interior Mexico, but she's avoiding the actual southern border because she, to the degree that they did campaign at all, they did campaign on kids in cages, which are still in cages, only the situation has very much worsened under the Biden-Harris administration. And now we're seeing women raped, uh, people murdered, we're seeing the drugs pouring over the border uh, like never before, worse than ever. Um, we're seeing, um, you know, the situation at the border, children drowned intentionally. Um, the word about what's happening at the border, and I've known about this for years, having lived there uh, before I moved to Florida just a couple of years ago, but the word has gotten out, even among the propaganda press, the, the word has gotten out about what's actually happening at the border. So. She can't be seen there, I guess, for purposes of image. Is that why she's not going there? I assume she doesn't want to actually see the facts and actually see those children in the cages that the Obama administration built and that Trump's administration actually tried to dismantle. Um, and now they're shoving them in hotels. They're, they're putting them on, on buses and sending them all across the country. I've seen testimony from folks where they're showing up in, in Virginia, all across our country because there's nowhere to house them on the border. So I, I would ask the, the vice president, how is it that our border is secure when 170,000 illegal immigrants cross the border, aren't even processed and are released without even a date to show up for a, a, a court date? It just absolutely blows my mind that these these so-called leaders of the Democratic Party and the leaders of our country can say that the border's secure, we've shut down the border, uh, and the facts are completely opposite of what they're saying. I, I guess they assume that CNN's just gonna play that clip and everybody's just gonna shake their head and be like, oh, if Kamala Harris said that the border's closed, well, I guess the border's closed despite the actual facts and the numbers that are coming out from DHS and from border security. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, you know, when I get a lot of mail about something um, or a lot of texts about something, um, I tend to know it's really blowing up and ticking people off. This is one of the things that I got so much, so many, and I'm sure you did too, texts and emails about Kamala's interview with Lester Holt during this NBC, uh, this NBC talk they, the two of them had. Uh, the things that she said were so unbelievable. I could have done a whole show just on it, but here are some highlights. Listen. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border, we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I, I mentioned it because I, even, I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this, but Democratic Congressman Cuellar, as a border district, has said to the, you and the president, come. You need, I care you need to about, see this. Listen, I care about what's happening at the border. I mean, the cackle, we got that. Um, you know, Congressman, You've done important interviews on things in your district, and you and I know the term. My husband's been in politics. I've been in politics. You're murder boarded is the term that we use, where you are given 
the questions that you know you're going to have. And if you are vice president of the United States, you've been murderboarded, uh, meaning you've been rehearsed on the questions you're likely to get. She had to know this question was coming at her. Did she forget her prep? What happened there? How did she, how was she so unprepared with such a stupid answer? I've never been to Europe. That, that wasn't an answer. Well, what's interesting is, you know, Lester Holt's not a conservative by any stand or no. uh, of. So you have somebody who leans left, if not liberal left, that's asking the questions. And the point that he's trying to make is you have been put in charge of the border crisis by President Biden. And you haven't even bothered to go down there to see firsthand what's going on that's affecting our country. Again, over 170,000 in April, 150,000 in March, over hundreds of thousands every month since Biden takes has taken office. That is over the population of Sarasota County, the county that I live in, in just the five months of this year. That's the numbers that we're talking about that are coming into our yeah. Our country, and if she's not even willing to take her own time as the leader, so-called leader of the Biden administration of the border crisis, to go down there and see firsthand and talk to uh, INS and be uh, border security and all those different individuals to see what's really happening, then obviously she doesn't really care to see. But I mean, it's so. I mean, I can't get off of this, and 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 I don't want to belabor this, but you, I want to bring you back to, she, all she has to do is appear to care. She's not even appearing to care. She wasn't even prepared with an answer. And yes, it's Lester Holt. And yes, it is, you know, definitely propaganda media. I'm not saying that. I, I, I get that maybe she thought she was going to get lucky and they just weren't going to ask her that question. Do you, is that where you were going with that answer? Because I can't for the life of myself understand I've never been to Europe. That's not an answer. That doesn't make her even appear to care. Well, and to joke about it, like this is some laughing matter. The, the the biggest national security crisis that we have right now is our southern border and terrorists coming across the border. Yeah. And she laughs about it and jokes about it like it's no big deal. Oh, no, I haven't. We, we've sent people down there. Again, a lie. She hasn't been there. He asked her specifically, have you been down there? Yeah. And I guess she just thinks it's some big joke. And to say, well, I haven't been to Europe just to try to say, OK, well, I haven't been to Europe either. So why do I need to go to the border? It's ridiculous, and it's absolutely ridiculous that she's the vice president of the United States in charge of border security and could care less to even go down there. And this is exactly what they want. Democrats want illegal border crossings to the tunes of hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants and then give them the ability through H.R. 1 to be able to vote in our elections and do away with voter ID across our country. This is exactly what they want to do and what they've wanted for, for decades. Okay, but Representative, here are the results. Texas is seeing major political shifts. Good sign for Republicans. Two big mayors, uh, two big mayor races just flipped from Democrat to Republican. Fort Worth and also McAllen, Texas, where there's a huge majority of Hispanic voters. So, like, let this sink in. Republicans could be set up for huge midterm elections if this trend continues. Is this what you're seeing? Yeah, and absolutely, you've seen it here in Florida as well. Look, Hisp Hispanics, especially from Cuba and Venezuela and these other countries that know socialism and that know communism, they don't want that here in the United States. That's why they fled Venezuela and fled Cuba to come right. here to the United right. States where we have democracy and a Republican freedom. So you're right, Hispanics are trending more and more towards the Republican Party because they're anti-socialists. And a lot of those Hispanics who actually came to this country legally are not happy by the fact that we just have an open border on our southern border right now 
And all these individuals are able to come into our country when they went through the process legally. They went through all of the steps that they were required to go through by law, by current law, to in order that they get their own citizenship. And so it upsets them to see that our country is completely completely ignoring the law as it relates to immigration in our country. And they had to go through the steps to become citizens of our country. So you're absolutely going to see Hispanics trend in Republican directions this election cycle. It's fascinating to watch. The psychology here is mind-boggling to me because it's like they're taking on water while they're treading it in this administration. Like they have no idea what the public is asking of them. It's, it's, it's crazy. Anyway, Congressman, Greg Stubbe from here in Florida, the 17th District. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Thanks for being with Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Coming up, we have some news that you didn't know. That's right. Right here on Dr. Gina Primetime. Back in a moment. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And it's time now for some news you didn't know. Here to help, as always, from our RAV headquarters in Denver, Colorado, Jessica Rivera. Jessica, great to see you. Great to see you too, Dr. Gina. And today, a bipartisan group of senators released their findings on the January 6th Capitol riots. The report is a months-long investigation that includes two hearings, interviews, and reviews of thousands of documents. The investigation's primary focus was to figure out what went wrong on that day and how to prevent it in the future. The senators involved were Democrats Gary Peters, Amy Klobuchar, and Republicans Rob Portman and Roy Blunt. And here is what was found. The main reason for the chaos on that Saturday, or sorry, excuse me, the reason for the chaos on the Capitol that day was due to a critical breakdown at every level, ranging from FBI, Homeland Security, and the lack of direction from those responsible for the Capitol Police. And once the chaos ensued and injuries began, there was no medical help available until it was too late for some people. The report also found that the National Guard assistance was not put in place ahead of time and then was delayed when they actually were needed. Here's what the conclusion to the report actually says. Neither the USCP nor the FBI, US Secret Service, Metropolitan Police, or our other law enforcement partners knew thousands of uh, rioters were planning to attack the U.S. Capitol. The known intelligence simply didn't support that conclusion. And with that, Dr. Gina, I would like to point out what the report did not say. It did not have any mention of President Trump's name anywhere, especially any mention that he was a cause of the day's events. I would also like to remind everyone of who was actually in charge of the Capitol Police on January 6, 2021. The Capitol Police is under the House Sergeant at Arms and the Senate Sergeant at Arms. The House Sergeant at Arms reports to the House Speaker, who is and was Nancy Pelosi on January 6th. And the Senate Sergeant at Arms reports to the Senate Majority Leader, which was Republican Mitch McConnell on that day. And according to the Capitol Police Chief at the time, Stephen Sund, he asked both the Sergeant at Arms for extra security from the National Guard and the House Sergeant at Arms, Paul Irving, is the only one that came back with a rebuttal of no, because he said it wasn't gonna look good for the optics. Of course, Irving denies the claim, but he's the only one, and he is the one who ultimately took the fall for Pelosi and resigned the next day. And that's what the report has wow. in it. Yes. 
Wow, Jessica, thank you so much. Fascinating. All right, well, we have time to squeeze in one more Hollywood story here, and our West Coast correspondent, Amanda Head, is here to help. All right, a few days ago, Amanda, I talked about Ellie Kemper. She's known for a few roles in Hollywood, including her stint on the sitcom The Office. She was smeared for being crowned queen of the VP Ball, which is a charitable event in St. Louis that I attended personally for years. Headlines like this one were all over the place last week. What it means that Ellie Kemper was queen of the racist failed profit ball and the VP ball that has been happening for like 150 years or so. So, of course, it must be racist. So I defended Ellie Kemper and said the VP ball and the VP queen is not racist. But Amanda, she apologized. Ugh, why, Amanda? Oh, my goodness. It's like people never learn. If you apologize, if you give even an inch, they will take a mile and she will never live this down. You have to stand your ground. I don't know the history of this organization. It sounds like basically every other debutante ball across America, which is all about tradition and history. Yeah. And sure, maybe 150 years ago, there were some questionable things and some questionable topics to raise. But this is 2021, and in 2021, the VP ball has beautiful women's faces of all colors. So when you apologize for something like this, you lend credence to their argument that everything is racist. And I just got to say, if everything is racist, then nothing is racist. Exactly, Amanda. All right, thank you so much. We're completely out of time. We have to go, but I want to tell our audience, Congressman Ted Bett is on the show tomorrow. He was endorsed for U.S. Senate by President Laura Trump. Uh, President Trump and Laura Trump. <laughs> Whoops, jumped that barrel. Live from Studio 6B up next. Hug your children, love your God. You go boldly now and live the truth. Good night, everybody.